Good morning. Welcome to Calvary. We're glad that you're here. As Celeste said, it's great to be able to hear our children's choir sing, uh, but we are uh, re- reminded of the fact that uh, that's not possible uh, everywhere in the world, and that there are uh, persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who today, uh, praise the Lord, are meeting, uh, but are not able to do so in the same sort of way that we are today. And so uh, we are thinking about the International Day for the Persecuted Church, which is what today is. Uh, It's a Sunday that's set aside uh, so that all of us around the world can think about uh, those of us, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, who are in lands or in places in which they are being persecuted for their faith. We don't in any way uh, want to uh, not thank God for what He allows us to do, um, but we also want to think about uh, the ways in which God can bless others in different circumstances. It's estimated that in North Korea... Somewhere around 50 to 70,000 Christians are in prison camps uh, in very, very difficult living conditions simply because they're Christians. North Korea is the country in which the highest level of persecution is taking place. But it's happening other places too. In the country of Iraq, uh, in the past decade, it's estimated that 650,000 Christians have fled the country because of persecution. That means that in 2003, there may have been about a million Christians in that country. Today, there's about 350,000 Christians. In Saudi Arabia, it's illegal uh, to convert from Islam to Christianity, and to do so is a criminal act that uh, merits the death penalty. In Nigeria, uh, in Africa, A church has been attacked roughly once a month uh, for the past year or so. Church is attacked for no other reason other than the fact that they're Christians. And then, worst of all, or perhaps most sobering of all, is that it's estimated that around the world, if you add up all of the people who are asked to give their lives for the name of Jesus, about a hundred Christians a month are dying simply because uh, they're Christians and they're being asked to give up their lives for the sake of Jesus. Now, when you hear statistics like this, sometimes statistics feel a bit impersonal. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around 70,000 North Koreans languishing in prison camps, and it can be hard to emotionally connect to that, but sometimes a picture can help. Uh, This is a picture of Chinese Christians uh, moments after they were arrested. This picture was taken in 2008, and uh, you can see uh, the looks on their faces uh, as those uh, Chinese Christians are there. I don't know their names, and I don't know their story, but I do know that when you see uh, the emotions in their faces and when you see what they're going through, it it brings some of these statistics and make them feel a little bit more real, like these are happening to real people. Uh, They're happening in very real situations. Along those same lines, we received an update newsletter. We support lots of organizations as a church. We received an update newsletter from one of the organizations that we support that does uh, Christian camps in uh, Central Asia. And as part of their update newsletter, they wrote, for security reasons, every day of training, we had to change the place where the camp was meeting. During the summer season, this team was able to organize three camps, one for women, one for kids, and one for teenagers. As we wrote you previously, during the third camp, they were invaded by police and arrested. After the arrest, they had a trial 
and paid fines. Now every one of them is under strict surveillance. We are so thankful that this team was only fined and not put in prison. This is a sign of God's unlimited grace. Thank you very much for your prayers for this specific situation. We know that all of you were standing in the gap to pray for us. Now, we didn't write to this organization and say, hey, look, we're having International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Do you have any stories you could share with us? This is just part of their regular everyday existence. And this was just the support, not the support letter, the update letter that they sent to us so that we can continue to pray for them. Now, why do we share this stuff with you? Why is it important for you and I to know what's going on in Nigeria and in China and in Indonesia uh, and in Central Asia and in Colombia? Why is it important that we uh, understand what it is that our brothers and sisters are going through? How does that have any relevance to us where we live? Well, that's the question we want to answer this morning, and we want to do so from God's Word. So if you have a Bible, if you take it and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible or you need to borrow one, there's one in front of you in the rack or underneath your seat. In those Bibles, it's page 983, 1 Peter chapter 5, page 983. Like I said, today is a day that the worldwide church sets aside to think about those who are experiencing persecution. Now, we've been studying here at Calvary uh, the letter of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter has lots to say about suffering. And Peter's written to us, uh, to his original audiences, and God has used this letter to speak to us, to talk to us first and foremost about salvation, that God has made available to us in Jesus Christ free of charge, salvation, that all our sins can be forgiven, that we can be born again, a new life into a living hope and into an inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And Peter wants us to know that this blessed hope that we have, this, this salvation that God has given to us, is something that has wrapped up with it the reality of suffering. That suffering is not something different than salvation. It's part of how God is bringing about our salvation. That part of how God is transforming us and rescuing us is through suffering. Well, it's no surprise that since Peter has written an epistle that is so, uh, so heavily themed about suffering, that he not only speaks about our suffering, but also has something to say about the suffering that's happening around the world. And because today we're thinking about suffering that's taking place in other countries and other places, we're going to jump out of our normal order and be in 1 Peter 5 for this morning. We're also going to do our service a little differently. We're going to begin with this teaching from God's Word, and then we're going to spend the remainder of the morning uh, that we have together responding uh, to what it is that we hear from God's Word. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Peter writes, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
What Peter says is he is writing to us in our particular situations as we are experiencing suffering, whether it is a loved one going through a divorce or a loved one experiencing an illness or some sort of difficulty at work or whatever it may be, the sufferings that we're going through. As God is speaking to us, he says, what's vital for you and I in the midst of our suffering is to know about those around the world who are suffering. That somehow our knowledge of what's happening in Nigeria and in Colombia and Indonesia is important if we are going to stand firm where we are. Now, when you hear Peter say that, my first objection at least is, but what they're going through in Nigeria, I can't even relate to that. I don't know what it's like to be beaten for my faith. I don't know what it's like to be in a prison camp simply because I'm a Christian. I don't know what it's like to be afraid to come to church and be gathered together and wonder if someone's going to attack uh, the building or burn this down while we're here. How can we even relate what they're going through seems so different than what we're experiencing? Well, it was brought to my attention as I was studying this passage that although that's my first objection, God has answered that objection. And he's done so in this great little phrase right at the end of verse 9. See where he says, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing, and here's this phrase, the same kind of sufferings. Now the great thing about that phrase is, is what it doesn't say is the same sufferings. So Peter, neither Peter nor God, is saying that what that Nigerian Christian is going through right now is the same as what I'm going through. Or what you're, he didn't write that. In fact, in Greek, there's a very easy way to write this if he wanted to write the same sufferings. Peter chooses not to do that. Instead, he, he forms this more awkward construction, which we've translated the same kind of suffering. And his point is, is that what that Nigerian Christian is going through and what you're going through are different, but part of the same whole. That we're experiencing the same kind of suffering. You might not know what it's like to be beaten for your faith. That Nigerian Christian might not know what it's like to have a child suffering from mental illness. Both are forms of suffering, and Peter's point is not to try to say that what he's going through and what you're going through is exactly the same thing. He's not trying to say that. What he's saying is, it's different. In fact, what's happening in the, around the world is different than what's happening here, but what's happening with you is different than what's happening with me. And Peter's point is, we can either see all of this suffering as just individual isolated events and individual isolated experiences, or we can realize it's all part of a greater whole. That, that Nigerian's sufferings and your sufferings are different but connected. They're different, but they're part of the same whole. That's bolstered by the fact that in verse 8, Peter frames the discussion about suffering in terms of spiritual warfare. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Someone, 
anybody. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if it's in America or in China or Indonesia. Satan wants to destroy the people of God. And the point is, you and I experience suffering because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world in which there's sin, in which humans, you and me, have chosen to disobey God, and others have as well. And as a result of that, our lives experience pain and trauma, difficulty and death. And the point is, is that Nigerian Christian who's being beaten for his faith and your child that is struggling with mental illness, both of those things are happening because we live in a fallen world. This is not how God designed it. He did not design us to experience mental illness nor persecution. But Satan now uses both these things to try to destroy us. And we are united together in the fact that what Satan is doing is he is attacking the, our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and attacking us here. He may use different means, but the goal is the same, to destroy those who name the name of Jesus. You see, we're in a cosmic battle. And this whole world is under the control of the evil one, but God, who is stronger, is wresting it away from him. And what I'm going through, what you're going through, what brothers and sisters around the world are going through, it's all different, but it's all connected. It's all part of a larger whole. That's Peter's point. It's not that they have sufferings and it's some different category than what we're going through. It's that everything is connected. Now, if that's true, and I believe that it is, why is it so important then that we know what they're going through? Yes, you may be willing to grant that we are somehow united with them, but how is that important for me and what I'm going through in my suffering? How is it important for you and what you're going through? If you've been asked to walk a difficult road, perhaps you have a, 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 a journey through difficult health situation. Why and how is it helpful to know what's going on around the world? Let me give you three reasons why. The first is when you and I hear about what's happening in Indonesia or Saudi Arabia, when we hear about what's happening in North Korea, it reminds us that suffering is the universal experience of all Christians. It is the universal experience of all Christians and not dependent on circumstances. Suffering is the universal experience of all Christians and not dependent on circumstances. Now hear me right. There is some level of difficult things that happen in our life because we make bad choices. Peter's very clear about that. He's like, anybody who suffers for being a murderer or a thief, that's not good. That's the kind of suffering you want to avoid. But sometimes we can get the mindset and think all suffering is avoidable. That's not true. We sometimes think if we could just get rid of poverty, if we could just get uh, there to be democracy everywhere, if we could eliminate political corruption, if we could stem the tide of rising secularism, that somehow we would eliminate suffering. But when you stop for a minute and you hear what's happening in France or in North Korea or in South America, it begins to dawn on us, suffering is the universal experience of all Christians who name the name of Jesus. You see, suffering is taking place in countries where there is democracy and where there's dictatorships. 
Suffering is taking place in countries where there is capitalism and where there is socialism. Suffering is taking place uh, in countries that are closed and countries that are open. It's happening in rural, country, uh, rural cultures and urban cultures. It's happening where people are well-educated and where people are poorly educated. People are suffering for the name of Jesus where there are strong nuclear families and where there are not strong nuclear families. People are suffering for the name of Jesus where there are high standards of living and where there are low standards of living. And when you realize what's going on around the world, you realize you can't tweak a few variables and make the suffering go away. It's the universal experience of every Christian. It's not dependent on circumstances. You see, sometimes we look at our own suffering and we look at what we're going through and we think, if I could have just done this differently, if this would have happened, if I could have somehow made this choice, and we think somehow suffering is avoidable. Peter says, look around. Look around the world. Look what's happening everywhere. This can't simply be the result of choices. Something bigger is happening. We think if we can just get the right person elected, if we could get enough money saved up, if we could be good stewards of our money, if we could somehow raise our children in the right way, if we could somehow be diligent about diet and exercise, if we could be faithful in prayer, that somehow we'll avoid all suffering, that we can somehow skate our way through life and have no suffering at all. And the reminder is, look, people around the world are suffering for no other reason than the fact that they're Christian. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. After all, the person in human history who suffered the most is Jesus. And he never did anything wrong. And the first result of knowing what's going on around the world is it's a reminder to you and I where we live that the sufferings that we experience is not simply the result of circumstance. It's the universal experience of every believer in Jesus. The second thing that's important for you and I, as we go through our own suffering, the reason why we need to know what's happening around the world is because it communicates to us that how we respond to our suffering matters. How we respond to our suffering matters in the global scheme of things. Tomorrow, American citizens will celebrate Veterans Day. Veterans Day is this great opportunity to be able to commemorate those who've served in the armed forces, to be grateful, to be thankful for those who have worked hard to ensure a certain level of uh, freedom for those who live uh, in America. One of the great things about Veterans Day is that we don't make a distinction between those who served in hostile combat and those who didn't. We don't differentiate between veterans who were part of the training force or the supplying force or were those who were part of the educational process. We don't separate out which veterans actually saw combat and which veterans didn't. What we do is, is we realize that they're all working together for the same common purpose. That if those who are responsible for the training or the logistics or the things that need to happen in the field, if they're not doing their part, it doesn't matter what the guy in the hostile situation does. It's got to all work together. 
The same is true for Christianity. That what God is doing is he is waging a worldwide war against evil. And that some of us have been assigned to the front lines, to hostile combat, and some of us have been assigned to the supply depot. But at the end of the day, if we don't do our job, what they do is impossible. Sometimes people come to me when they have been diagnosed with a terminal illness or they have a loved one going through a very difficult health situation. Usually they don't come sort of immediately. When immediately if they come, it's just in, in desperation and trying to come to grips with what's going on. But at some point, if it's something that lasts, especially a months or years, they'll come and sit down with me and it, inevitably at some point in the conversation, guilt will come up. And they'll say to me, Pastor, I feel guilty. I'm not sharing the gospel with anybody. I'm no longer serving in the church anymore. I used to do all sorts of stuff around the church. Now all I can do is barely have enough energy to get through the day. I'm just trying to take care of my loved one. I'm just trying to survive. And they feel like somehow they have left the race, that somehow they're no longer engaged in the battle, that somehow they're put on the shelf and that they're failing God. My standard response is, please remember, the word endure and the words stand firm are active verbs. If God has commanded you to endure suffering, you're doing the assignment that your commanding officer gave you to do. Some people at some lives are given the assignment of sharing the gospel. Some people are given the assignment of, of working in church. Some people are given the assignment of per being persecuted for the faith. Some people are given the assignment of simply standing firm in the face of death and not letting go of their faith in Jesus. And the point is, if we don't do our job, then them doing their job doesn't do any good. Think about it. If somebody who is languishing in a prison in North Korea is doing so to try to bring the gospel to territories where it's not been, what good does it do if we give up the territories that God has already won? You see, if you're going to win a war, you both have to take new ground and you also can't give up previously taken ground. And if they lead someone to faith in North Korea, but you lose your faith when you go through this sickness, how is the kingdom advanced? How have we made any progress? Look, I don't know. I'm not the general in this thing. I don't know why we got assigned to this, these things of suffering and they got assigned to the... But I'm not in charge. God said, look, yes, you're at the supply depot. Yes, you may not be on the front lines in the same sort of way. But if you don't do your job well... It doesn't matter if they do their job well. We're all in this together. Amen. And Peter's saying, look, it matters. It matters if you make it to the end of your life still praising Jesus. If you have been assigned the task of dying well, it's part of a bigger battle that God is waging. And that if he's asked you to protect ground that he's already won, do it. The third reason why it's important to know what's going on in the world and how it helps us in the midst of our own suffering is it makes us realize that we're going through what we're going through so that we can have sympathetic solidarity with those who are being persecuted for the name of Jesus. You see, I'm telling you the great lie of Satan 
in this situation is that somehow what that Nigerian Christian is going through is categorically different than what I'm going through. It's not. It's not. Yes, the details are different, but that fear that you have as you deal with mental illness, that fear that you have as you deal with financial ruin, the stress in your life, the anxiety, the uncertainty, that feeling of aloneness, that feeling like the whole world is crashing on top of me, that is exactly how that brother in Nigeria feels. He's experiencing the exact same emotions. See, the problem is, is that if we think, oh, what they're doing in Indonesia is so different than what, I don't even, then we're off the hook. Then I don't have to care about what they're going through. When I realize that they have the same fears I have, they have the same stress I have, they have the same anxiety, then I realize God is putting me through what I'm going through so I can be sympathetic to them. See, here's the problem with calling it the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church is it makes it sound like there's two churches. One that's persecuted and one that's not. There's not. There's one church. It's us. And when we experience suffering in this situation, we develop sympathy. Sympathy to think, I know how that guy languishing in that North Korean prison feels. I've never been in prison for my faith, but I know how he feels. He feels alone. He feels like God's forgotten him. He feels like the sun will never dawn again. He feels like everybody is going on with their life and he's somehow a failure. He feels like that maybe he did something wrong that he ended up in this prison. That's how he feels. And the reason why God has allowed me to go through the things I've gone through is I know what that feels like. And it encourages me to do something about it. I know what it's like to know that there are people who I've never even met around the world praying for me praying for a difficult health situation. And that reminds me, that man in North Korea needs to know that I'm praying for him. And whether I can get him that message or not, the Spirit can. But the Spirit can't do it if I'm not praying because the Spirit's not going to lie. And so I realize it matters whether I pray for him or not. I know what it's like to be in the midst of a very difficult situation and feel like God has abandoned you and have someone come up to you and say, Here's a financial gift. I don't know why God just told me to give that to you. It doesn't solve all your problems, but you know what it does do? It reminds you God's not forgotten about you. And that says to me, you know what? I can find a way to do something for that brother in North Korea. I can find a way to do something for that brother in China. Just to encourage him. I can't make all the persecution go away. I can't make all of the stuff disappear. But I can send him something that says God's not forgotten about you. And so the third reason why Peter says it's so important to know what's going on around the world is because they're experiencing the exact same things that we are. The details are different, but the emotions are the same. And if you've been blessed by someone you don't know praying for you, and if you've been blessed by someone giving you an anonymous gift, and if you've been blessed by someone coming alongside of you and encouraging you to praise God despite your circumstances then let us comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Amen. It is not categorically different. That is a lie from Satan to keep us from thinking we have anything to offer. 
So this morning we want to respond. And we want to respond in three ways. We're going to respond this morning in giving. We're going to take an offering. Now this is not a special offering. Sometimes we take special offerings. I just want to tell you, this is not a special offering. This is just our regular Calvary Church offering. But what you need to know is that last year, out of every dollar that was given to Calvary Church, somewhere around 43 or 44 cents on that dollar went outside the walls of Calvary to advance the kingdom of God. Meaning that we took the money that was given and used that money not to pay staff here, not to help not keep the lights on, not to do anything related to what's happening here, but to advance the kingdom. And a portion of that is going to people who are in persecuted situations. It's going to be the same thing with this morning's offering. And so we're going to take an offering, and what we're going to do is ask the Lord to use those funds and make them available to that ministry we support in Central Asia, uh, to those Chinese Christians that are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're going to trust that God is going to help that money get to those places and is going to bring those situations to mind. So we're going to respond by giving. The second way we're going to respond is by prayer. Many of you have known the joy of opening up a Facebook page or a Caring Bridge page and knowing that someone around the world is praying for you that you don't know. We're going to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world and we're going to ask the Spirit to tell them it's happening. And then third, we're going to respond in praise. Because Peter's whole point is that suffering is not just dumb luck. It's not just you lost the lottery and you happen to be born in Nigeria or you happen to be born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You and I and our brothers and sisters around the world are going through what we're going through because it's part of the plan of God to bring salvation to us and the whole world. And so we're going to praise him. We're going to praise him because that guy languishing in that North Korean prison is not there in vain. You dealing with that mentally ill child is not in vain. Us struggling with financial support, that brother who's been beaten for his faith, it's not in vain. God is using it for good, and so we're going to praise him. So we begin our response by giving, and so let me pray and commit the offering we're about to take to the Lord's use. Lord, you have heard God, that we want to respond. Lord, you have told us a little of what's going on in the world. You have told us what you think about that in your word. You have told us that we are connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we don't even know the name of that Chinese brother or those brothers that we saw in that picture, but you do. Lord, you can take a portion of this money. You can take all this money and you can send it to them. I don't know how it will get there, but you do. And so, Lord, we give it not because we know exactly how it will be spent or where it will go, but we give it in faith knowing that you will guide and direct. So I pray, Lord, for our deacons, for our pastoral staff, would you bring to mind, uh, Lord, supernaturally opportunities that we have to be a blessing. Take this money, Lord, and use it to bless them. Lord, you don't need our money to do this, but you're letting us participate with them as one. So, God, I'm praying that this offering that it will be used for mighty things, uh, Lord God, and that, that these dollars would go to help those who are being persecuted around the world. Lord God, know that you've not forgotten them. Bless us, Lord, as we respond in prayer and in praise. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.